Sci-Fi Sidebar. I'm your co-host, Cece. And I'm Peter, your other co-host. Did you almost forget to come in? What? No. <laughs> it just felt like there was a gap there. Um, anyway, so this is our episode on Children of Ruin by Adrian Tchaikovsky. His second book in a series. I don't know if it's going to be more. Do you know if it's going to be more? I don't know. I saw someone theorizing about a third book, but I didn't see anything official from Tchaikovsky. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I kind of hope there's not, because I don't know where he can go from here, to be honest. Yeah, at this point, if he did another one, I feel like it would mostly be... I don't know. I think it's hard. I think it would be really hard. I think the idea of the adventure and telling another story about that would be really cool. But I also lean towards the idea that that's that ending of this book was really well done. Yes, true. And I also think that he sort of did what so many authors try and fail to do, which was basically write the same book twice but add enough variety that no one's mad about it. Yeah. Crushed it in the first one. Wrote another one going, well, I can just write this again. And I'm just going to write the same story over again. And it'd be fine. Right. Right. And it was fine. And it was very good. I enjoyed it a lot. Which is funny because I didn't really like it the first time I attempted to read it. And I, I think I must have been going through one of those times in my life where I couldn't listen to audiobooks really well. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I just no, didn't get into it. No, you've never had that. Okay. Um, every now and again, that happens to me. If I'm like really tired, I can never focus on it while I'm driving or whatever. And I was like too broken up and I just didn't get into it. And I think part of the problem is that there weren't as many characters I cared about this time around. Okay. Now, I feel I, like we had this conversation last time too. About this book? About the Children of Time. Or about Children of Time. Um... You know, I can't remember having that conversation, but it's very possible. And I think it does think come should, up a lot for me. I think as a, as a matter books. of habit, we should re-listen to our previous episodes when we do series. Uh, that's probably a good idea. But I'll keep it brief. Um, <laughs> I found Senkevi to be utterly charming and delightful. I liked him a lot. Good. He, he was just the right amount of, like, weird and socially awkward, but also, like, sincere and lovable. Wait, who, who were you talking about? Sankavi. Oh, okay. Yeah, because he was like, I, I feel like you would expect him to be not connected to other humans, like, because he isn't really friends with other humans, but I really like that Tchaikovsky took it in a direction where, yes, like, he is not, he is an introvert. He prefers to be, like, himself and his octopuses or octopi. I guess we'll call him octopi in his honor. I think octopodes <laughs> is what he went with. Octopode is not what he would have wanted. I did bonus what Boltiel called him. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, he, yes, he, he loved his hobby, and he wasn't that into working with other people, but he still needed human contact. And I thought that was very realistic. It wasn't like trying to do a socially awkward, like, octopus-obsessed Sherlock Holmes type of a character. It was just like, yeah, he's very, very smart. He's fairly antisocial, but he does need other humans to be around, for him for his mental well-being and he can like form bonds with other humans it's just not necessarily like a very social person you know what i mean mm -hmm. i feel like usually people go too far in the one extreme when they write these characters 
You're right. I, I yeah, I think you're right. And so I, I liked agree him with a lot. That, I agree with you that it was extremely well done. What what was it really, extremely well done? Uh, the the idea Senkovi's introverted nature. Yeah. I think I so. mean because I I would agree that people tend to think of introverts and they go antisocial. You know, they, they go weirdo, antisocial, hates people. Yeah. And an introvert isn't that. That's not what an introvert no. is. No, not at all. Introverts get lonely. Yeah, an introvert, the only idea about introverts is that they, um, they get their, they regain their social energy from being alone. Right. Like, that's it. And so that, I think, is one of the, the major things that people need to better understand, especially the authors who write these stories. Yeah. And I, I don't think that people across the board think of introverts as being like the lone genius necessarily, but I think that the lone genius is a that is used. But this was a much more human version of that than I've seen elsewhere. If that makes sense. I would agree. But, yeah, I mean, other than him, I mean, I liked his dynamic with Poltiel a lot. And I liked... Ah, uh, that's kind of it. <laughs> I, I don't know if you could explain this to me, Peter. Or if it's actually true, and maybe I am just forgot about the proof of it. But for I some reason, I always, I always thought that... Um, I couldn't stop picturing the humans who were on board the Swiftfoot... Uh, is it, wait, is it called the Swiftfoot? The fleet, I, I thought it was the Fleetfoot. The Lightfoot. Huh? Lightfoot. Lightfoot. <laughs> Swiftfoot is a magic card. Um, that is where I got it. <laughs> 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 um, no, I think I, all the humans aboard the Lightfoot. Helena was okay. I found Meshna really insufferable. That's fair. Um, I, thought, I found Fabian also pretty annoying. He actually, you know who he reminded me a lot of? Miro. Nero? Miro from the Ender Quartet. Like, after he gets all paralyzed. But at least in that case, it wasn't really Miro's fault. Like, a terrible accident oh. happened to him. Yes, yes, yes. It took me forever to think of that. <laughs> uh. This is okay. Um, but no, like, he was... He, he, like, yes, a terrible accident happened to Miro. Yes, yes, yes. It's fine. On the other hand, Meshna totally caused his thing. With his own hubris. Literally. And was mopey about it. And then Fabian was, like, even mopier because of spider sexism. Which, you know, I get it. (laughs) I mean, I don't get it, get it, but, like, I can can understand where he's coming from, you know what I mean? I have been fortunate that I haven't had any of those experiences that Fabian is describing, despite being a woman in science. But, um... (laughs) I just, like... Every time we went to a scene with him, I'm just like, ugh... (laughs) gotta get through this again because they're they're whole like i i don't know i i'm not one of those scientists who wants to just like leap ahead all of a sudden i'm very much a um proceduralist i guess like i i really liked helena and porsche's project with the tactile feedback and everything i thought that that was a really clever way to do things and they could like communicate with each other very well i understand meshna's desire to reach a point where they could um 
I guess, interact and converse in understandings the way that the Portiads do, but I just, like, I, th- I thought it was, like, too soon, do you know what I mean? And the fact that he was all surly about it and, like, competitive with Helena, and Helena's like, look, dude, I'm just trying to do my project, you leave me alone. <laughs> I just, I found it very irritating. <laughs> and then Zayin wasn't really a character. And I kept getting, um, Viola and the other one confused with each other. Clearly, because I can't remember her name. Bianca. So, <laughs> that was my oh, take okay. on the whole Lightfoot crew. I didn't really care for them. Uh, Portia, I didn't feel like I got a good read on Portia. Helena was chill. Everyone else can burn. <laughs> Pretty yeah, Helena I liked was Arda- chill. Portia I liked Artifabian. Was fine. Artifabian was really heroic. <laughs> heroic. <laughs> heroic. Um, no, I was a big fan of him. Kern did not like very much. She's not supposed to be likable, though, so that one's forgivable. Yeah, she's very much obviously not a friend. Yes. What was your take? That's because I've been talking for a while. <laughs> on the characters. Yeah. Um, I would agree with you that I find them irritating. I think that it's funny. I I think it's funny that Meshna took such a very much male approach to the issue of ported human communication. And Helena took a very much female slash more trying to think artistic's the wrong elegant. She took a much more elegant approach to it. That's interesting that you say that. Whereas Mesh just started hacking his head with implants. That's just like brute force. Let's put some stuff in my brain. We're gonna work it out. I don't care if I get keep trying until it works. Yeah. Like, that's Just, like, not... we're gonna get there. And I'm sure that there was more, like, tweaking that we were supposed to infer went on in between experiments. Because, obviously, this isn't a science that can be described accurately. Right. Um, but, yeah, no, you're kind of right. He's sort of just, like, brute-forcing his way through scientific procedure and doing a bad job, clearly. Yeah, exactly. Whereas Helena was like, no, that's, uh, that's, you know, whenever you get, like, the psychology of it's pretty bad... We think very differently, so that's going to be very difficult. I know. Yeah. Let's make some vibrating gloves. Yeah, if I were to have one complaint about Tchaikovsky's writing, I feel like at the end of the book, I I, I get this feeling sometimes of like, blink, how did we get here? <laughs> um, like, all of a sudden at the end of the book, it's like, oh no, Mesh is the new Kern now, and like, everyone's on the same side, and it's just like, it feels so abrupt every time. Well... Okay. I think it's I think it's intentional to an extent. Because I think he's trying I, to like he's like building up the suspense and he wants you to feel this feeling of like, oh my god, how is this gonna get solved? Which I think is not very much something that the characters would feel. Right, yeah. So that is good. Like they they feel the rush towards conflict. Now, mm-hmm. one of the things I was thinking about was the the, the, this book specifically, it seems like the humans were never, they never had that much internal conflict. The main yeah. conflict going on felt like it, it was, I, by the way, did they ever name the organism? Portiad? No, 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 no. The, the... Oh. 
no, the not organism. They did call it something. I don't remember what it was. I don't think they did it more than once. Uh, just um, call it the Nodens. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's the intelligent life of Nod. The, the we. The we. I like the we. <laughs> there the human we. <laughs> um. Anyway, so the. Wait, hold on. So there wasn't a whole lot of conflict directly early on throughout the book between the we and the humans. Mm-hmm. Except for, like, current, present day, not, like, in the past. Obviously there was conflict there. And then they were just more like wait, a wait, looming wait, wait, wait. You're saying that You're saying that in the present, when the Lightfoot arrives, you don't feel like there's any conflict between the humans and the we? Yes. I think the only conflict is once they discover it, like, they have that conflict on the space station, sure, and they have the conflict on the ground. But the, they're more often a direct threat from the porta, from the um, octopodes. Uh, yeah, that's kind of true. Which is funny, because I think that, like, the bad guy, in as much as there is one, would be the we. They're the threat, right? Like, the... I guess, like, they're the scary threat. Like, the octopi have weapons, and they can do harm. But the we are, like, the actually all life in the universe could end threat. You know what I mean? Right, the octopi are, like... Oh, I'll kill you. Though we are like, oh, I'll take over your life. It's like regular missiles versus nuclear missiles. <laughs> it's like, like zombies versus just you, dying. We use the first one a lot more. <laughs> the That's second true. one's way scarier. Yeah, it is a dr- much more drastic weapon. But I, feel I honestly like, could have done with... Sorry, go on. I feel like if oh, we're going to say that the main violent parties are the humans and the octopi... That rapid resolution makes sense to me. From a Tchaikovsky writing standpoint, but also from a that's-how-the-octopi-work standpoint. So you're saying... I'm wondering if I'm down a good vein or if this is a complete waste of time. <laughs> that's what wait, I'm saying. So let, let, me, let me recap to make sure I understand. So you're saying that the we is, is just sort of a communication problem. The humans and the octopi is kind of a character problem. Yeah. And so the humans and the octopi... So, like, what? why Why does that get rapidly resolved? Because, because we're that's able how the to communicate operate. with the we, and we're like, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Oh, I guess you're right. Yeah, I guess you're right. The octopi are supposed to be very mercurial that way. Yeah, and they're very rapidly moving, and maybe their reach was being convinced while their uh, crown wasn't. That the crown thought one way. And then quickly things were resolved because that's all of a sudden the reach said, no, 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 we're good. That is true. I, and I, I thought that that characterization of their psychology was so interesting. And what I was going to say a minute ago is I, I could really have done with more time with the octopi. Because the, the way that this book differs from the last one, you don't get as much time with the developing intelligence. Like we really got to see the Portiads grow from solo hunters to... An advanced civilization that's spacefaring. Like we got I mean, yeah, half a of lot the of time with was, them. Half, half of the, the book portions. was it. The octopi's development as a society was like kind of relegated to, to catch up chapters where it was like, okay, so here's what happened um with the Wii and uh that's there was this one guy, he was an extremist, and like they 
and I do kind of wonder if it's intentional, because Tchaikovsky keeps saying, like, well, we'll call him Paul, but he doesn't really have a name in the way that you would think of it, and if he did, it would change. Um, but I, I felt like every time they would name a character, I'm like, why are you even bothering to name this character? Like, they didn't, ha- <laughs> they didn't have that through line of the Porsche characterization, the Fabian characterization that we had in the last book. But now that I'm, like, hearing myself say it, I do wonder if it's kind of intentional. Because there was so much more consistency in the Portiet Society because of the way they passed on the understandings. Interesting. Whereas the Octopi are supposed to be constantly changing, constantly, like, calculating and switching sides and going back and forth. Yeah, that so is how they operate as a species. It would be hard to spend a lot of time with one character without it just being wildly confusing. Yes. Honestly, I think the time that I felt that I got the most understanding of them was that scene of um, Paul and Salome being, like, elevated down to Damascus. Where they're they're fighting and they're freaking out and, like, Salome wants to get out and Paul's like, don't get out! (laughs) And they just have that whole argument. I felt like that that was, like, the clearest window for me. Where I, I felt that. like I had any grasp of how they fought and behaved and interacted. Yeah, that was a really good I guess the point portrayal. is that it is alien, right? Like, it's supposed to be alien. I mean, that's what we find Can't ourselves co- again, right? Can't be totally alien. Sorry, go on. That's where we find ourselves again. Like, the last book was a story about two species that were very different, but were slightly... That had slightly that had different foundational backgrounds, right? But if you look at when they learned to, to talk to each other, that was relatively rapid. I mean, not long before the the events of this book, they they couldn't talk to each other, and then I mean, during the book, they pretty much had figured out, or Helena had, was perfecting her ability to communicate between humans and portents. And it's a good communication, not just a rough feeling communication. Like, when Helena is trying to learn how to talk to the octopi, it is so haphazard and so... Even when she thinks she's got it, it's so much more by feel and by a rough estimation. Yeah, that's true. You're sort of just drawing... It's like in watercolors, almost. You're right. Exactly. And I think that's No pun intended. (laughs) <laughs> um, maybe a slight poem. Uh <laughs> and I think that's partially why or one of the ways this book does a very good job of showing that this is an entirely alien species yeah so I think well, Tchaikovsky I... took it another step further is really what it is he started the story in the last book he started the story of two species that are unfamiliar to each other whose types of intelligence are similar but they're getting over a physical difference, right? Humans have to learn how to talk to large spiders as other equal intelligent beings. Now, right. this book, humans have made the leap, okay, things cannot look like humans and still be intelligent. Now they have to learn how to communicate with a, a, a species who, again, does not look like humans, but is, thinks so very differently. 
Yeah, that is interesting. Because, obviously, humans have this tendency to um, personify animals. Especially, you know, cute animals. Like, the animals we, we like or we keep as pets. Um, we do that big time. Humans and will pack so... bond with anything. Huh? Humans will pack bond with anything. God knows. Um, but... It, and maybe that's part of what's interesting about these books is that they take creatures that we know and that we've seen and gives you this glimpse into the difference between their mind and ours. But it's interesting, too, because what you can kind of learn, um, and there's a question as to why specifically this is, but according to Tchaikovsky's characterization... Humans and Porteas are a lot more alike than humans and the octopi. Mm-hmm. And, and the Porteas and the octopi. And I think part of it is the fact that communication between humans and communication between Porteas is this, like, deliberate external thing. Whereas communication for the octopi seems like you can, you can control it a little bit with a lot of effort. But really, you're just kind of wearing your heart on your sleeve. So you're never going to really be able to lie or misrepresent yourself. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's, it's like you said, it's like an emotional language rather than a language in the way we think of language. Plus, humans twice and Portians once got to develop as a civilization. I don't know what the timeline of this book is. But it seems that the octopi didn't really do that. They were deliberately advanced in a lab setting to a point where they could work with instrumentation. Taken down and given instrumentation. They were, like, instantly technologically advanced. And, yes, they built on all of that wonderfully. But they didn't, I don't think, have the same sort of time span in which to... um, develop societally. So it's like if you had super smart, fairly primitive people who just, you know, walked out of the woods one day and started flying airplanes. You know what I mean? Uh, yes. They didn't have to go through the process of developing their own technology. They didn't have to go through the actual process of of kind of facing those societal singularities that we've heard about. And, uh, and that probably did affect how they were their result, but I would argue that they still developed their own society. I think you are talking too much about the similarity or you're, I think you're using society and technology interchangeably. I'm trying to do the opposite of that. I, that, what that's what just I'm trying to say is that they were they were given technological advancement. They had to... They, their technology was advanced beyond the advancement of their society, is what I'm saying. In terms of, okay. like, how long they had to develop. Okay, Because if the lifespan of the technology started, like, back when humans started working on that stuff. Way before right. the octopi achieved intelligence. Granted, obviously they were capable... And they were very quickly able to build and advance and 
that was one of the things they made a point of is like, hey, they've gone so much farther than we can even dream of just building on this basis. And part of that is, again, that crown and, um, oh, what do they call it? The arms, the span, that separation. They have like the sort of creative mind and the like computing faction that just gets like implements the vision. Do you know what I mean? So it's sort of like a really good team of designers all in one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like normally you need two different humans at least to think those two different ways. Right. Are you following me or am I talking like a crazy person? No, I, I get it. I just think that they actually had an opportunity to develop a society and not worry about their technology. Oh, that's an interesting take. Maybe. Like, all their focus... And, and we hear that the best and the most intelligent octopi crowns are artists in nature. They talk right. about that often. They talk about how the, the octopi who can dance the most gracefully are often the ones that win the arguments. The right. ones that have the creative minds to drive their reach. And I think that a society like that, where the artists are the most successful, or are the drivers of the world, both in industry and in, and politically, I think that has a, an advanced opportunity to develop a society. And really, hmm. the timeline of this series is not that different from the timeline of the Portids. Like, True. they probably the... got their start relatively close. I don't know. It's hard to tell because there were... They needed... It needed to take long enough for the planet to get terraformed. Because that was the whole period of time where, like, yeah, Sinkity's working on them, but then he goes back to sleep and, like, some of them die, but some of them go into cold sleep with him. So, like, they sort of lived the same lifespan as he did up until the point where they were sort of set loose on the planet. And that's really when they got to go. So I don't think it's ever mentioned how long it took them to go from ice cube or a sphere to habitable oxygen rich uh, atmosphere having planet. Okay. And yes, that probably wasn't exactly a, an overnight thing. But the octopi still have had to develop a lot of things. Like, they, their technology was so far in advance of the humans. And realistically, in advance of the Empire, or Imperial Earth, because that they had the access to the full wealth of Imperial Earth to base their technology off of. Yeah, no, that's true. And then that whole different way of thinking that could help them to see the shortcomings and fine areas to build on. Exactly. And Probably so you're think... right that they had a good long time. I don't know I mean, how, I mean, it's hard to speculate on how much less than the Portiers they had. Right. But regardless, they had a lot. I mean, it didn't take humanity its entire length of evolution to develop a society. Right. Or I would argue that's one of the first things we developed. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> what came before that? Right. I mean, Weapons, there, there was maybe. a whole lot of technological <laughs> development before that. Right. Not any of the big ones, anyway. 
Right. Just ask an anthropologist. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, that, so, that is where I'm at on that. I think that they had plenty of time to develop a society, and that it wasn't. I think they had more of an advantage because they didn't have to worry about technological pressure, except when they started polluting the shit out of their ocean. Yeah, I I, I can see that point of view. Um, on a different note, what did you think of? I guess the place of humanity on Kern's world since we left them. I think it's really interesting that there is a stigmatism to being human with a lowercase h or to being someone that was born human with lowercase h right there's the human reserve on Kern's world there's uh, Meshna's shame about his mother who was yeah uh, deathly afraid of the spiders and she couldn't get over it despite her uh well, I think it was the result. The explanation was that the virus. She was immune to the virus, right? She, yes. I think that I was, think the, explanation that was the explanation. It was a very much a yeah. throwaway explanation. I think you were immune to the virus, and you also were conspiracy theorists. Like I think <laughs> you could be immune to the virus and still like be a part of society. Um, yes. You might have a little bit more trouble intellectually handling things, but I don't think you're necessarily, therefore, going to be crazy like she was. Right, and I don't think the virus was really necessary after the, you know, next generation. Like, I think the idea is that that's an upbringing. I would argue that that whole situation was more a result of upbringing than, you know, innate human genetics. Uh, what, oh, which whole situation? Just being appalled oh, by being spiders? Oh, afraid of spiders. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. That's, I mean, yeah, there's an argument to be made. I just bet if a it child... Seems like, uh, it seems like you're right. I, I imagine that it's a learned behavior. But, you know, they talk about instincts and, like, naturally being afraid of things that could be hazardous to you. But on the other hand, jumping spiders aren't hazardous to humans. Like, the spiders that they are based on don't have venom that works on humans. Maybe the big ones do, but not the little ones. Not they the, have not super venom. Not the ones that we would be wired to recognize. Do you know what I mean? Right. And so, but it also might just be spiders as a whole, dangerous, venom. And that might be how that works. I'm not sure how specific we can say our instincts get. Yeah, I know. I'm not. I don't know enough about this. Um, and that one is a brown recluse. Be afraid. <laughs> um, yes. Anyway, Pretty so much. I I think that I thought it was very cool that the significant break and the amount of shame Meshna feels for having a a un enlightened mother. Yeah, I mean it makes sense. Especially because there's a certain, I think, gratitude to being a human on Kern's world. Like, the Portians did not have any obligation to help us. We didn't really pose any serious threat. Um, and we didn't really offer anything. <laughs> they just happened to be very enlightened. And we're like, okay, no, we'll, we'll try to find peace and figure out a way to coexist like we've done with every other enemy. That's their society. Right, they take the strengths of whatever threat they have and assimilate it and make themselves stronger for it. Right. Like the ability to reach tall shelves. <laughs> 
Our storage options are so much less limited now. Except that we're spiders and we can climb. Yeah, but they're going to have trouble carrying down. <laughs> That's true. That's Every true. spider is but equipped they do with have a eight legs. And they got their little palps. Peter, I went on a deep dive of watching videos of jumping spiders. It was delightful. That's a weird like, deep dive. I know I just said a thing about not personifying animals that aren't human, but they're so cute. <laughs> with their little palps and their little leg dances. And their little butt fans. Do they actually do leg dances? Yes, Peter, have you never watched these videos? No, I haven't. Alright, Peter, listeners, please, after this, go onto YouTube and look up, like, Jumping Spider Courtship, or something to that effect. It's <laughs> delightful. It See is. if you can find one that has, like, a flamenco music behind it, your life will be changed. <laughs> this is gonna be a, a wild... It's, uh... It's extremely good. <laughs> All right. Well, I will make sure to uh, take a look at that later. Um, but anyway, on that note, you can also look up videos of octopi changing colors and showing their camouflage. It is fascinating to watch. I don't think that I knew that they could do that. Like, you can watch them not just change colors, but change the texture of their skin. I, like, I think I knew that there was a degree of chromatophores, and I'm, I'm certain it depends on the species. But... The, the amount, the degree of control over that that they have is fascinating to watch. It's definitely worth looking into. Peter and listeners, please do it. Okay. It will really All enrich right. your experience. I'll be sure to look into that. Yes. Later. Alright. Um, anyway. Wait. Let me think. <laughs> okay. I want to talk about these. What do you want to talk about? These of we. The we? Yes. The we. Okay. First of all, was the we just one organism on Nod? Or were all organisms on Nod we? Yes. (laughs) Was that a joke? No. No? Yes, all we, organisms are. My understanding is that the we is a microorganism. And this microorganism evolved a similar function of information swapping as bacterium do on Earth. And then, but like, they took it a step further. Or several steps as the case may be. So the way I think they treated it in the book is though it was a slime mold type parasite. Yes, it was a microscopic slime mold type parasite. So it was not... So there there were several different organisms on Nod. Right. And I almost wonder if it's like a Descalata type thing, not to make another Ender's Game reference. No, I think it's a Descalata type thing. You think it is? Where, um, where I... it's like, hey, we've got this one pathogen and it sucks. And as a result, we've got, like, four species. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I don't think it's, like, a that type thing. I mean, okay, that, go on. there seem to be several species on Nod. Like, they talked about, like, those those starfishes and shit. Like, they, there were several things they talked about. Um, right, but I didn't they mention that it was nowhere near the biodiversity of Earth? I don't remember them specifically mentioning that, but you might be right. Okay. Um, but also, to be fair... I think the idea was not their view was Nod had, just hadn't had the opportunity to develop that. 
it was a very bland world. Although I suppose... I guess it depends on your evolutionary path. And we yeah, don't could, really know that could be a result of the Wii, or that could be the result of of just that planet not being very far along. So you're saying it's a Descalada type thing in the sense that it is a part of everything that lives on that planet. It well, is its own thing, everything. but it is a part of it. I wouldn't say everything, because remember they, they talked about how only some of the tortoises, their tortoise analogs, had... Did not have the slime. Yes, only some of them had the slime, and they assumed it was a disease of some sort. Well, I guess what I don't understand is why it wouldn't, like, explode out of control with those as much as it did with the humans. I mean, I guess with the humans, it was the motivation of, oh my god, the world is, or the universe is so large, I have to go explore it, humans are going to be my key to exploring it, and that's why they tried to, like, take over every human they ever found. Yes, I think that's fair. I think that's exactly what's going on. I think that they infected yeah, guess... one because they didn't infect humans immediately. <coughs> right. They didn't even make an effort for a very long time. They watched, they watched, they watched. They're like, all right, well, we some of these organisms are dying, but, you know, whatever. It's just, that's life. Things die. Right. But then eventually they're like, okay, they've made too much of disturbance. We must act. And then they act and they infect one and they go, holy shit. <laughs> this is amazing. This is fucking bonkers. And then they go on their, <laughs> their little rampage. Their adventure. Yes. I found... Oh god, that was so creepy. What? That was such like a creepy... Series. Whatever like, series they said of things. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was very like, chilling. Like, you know, uh, then all of a sudden her body went still and you heard softly, we're going on an adventure. And I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> God, I know. I want to die. Well, and it's interesting because you can, like, basically watch it take over them. Like, especially with Boltiel. He was like, hey, like, Senkavi, it's not safe. Like, stay away from me. And Senkavi's like, why are you flying at me? And he's like, we're going on an adventure. Dizra, it's fine. (laughs) And it's like, (laughs) oh, okay, Boltiel's gone. That's upsetting. Yeah, exactly. Do not like it, Sam, I am. Oh, my God. I super did not love that. It was, like, just the right degree of kind of horror, though, because it was very spread out. It was very creepy. It was good. <laughs> it was very creepy and good. Um, I agree. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as a dynamic brought into the book. And I thought that It is interesting, that though. I guess it is... I'm it's sorry, the concept of a deliberately developing pathogen. Because the only pathogens we know, as far as we can tell don't have intelligence so they just replicate out of control and what what i've said before on this podcast i'm pretty sure is that um but anybody i just will tell you that a virus that makes you really sick or that kills you specifically one that kills you is not a good virus <laughs> a good virus is a virus that either sheds from your system without you noticing that you're sick or makes you, like, sick enough to cough and sneeze on people, etc., but not sick enough to stay home and or die. <laughs> so, yeah, like, like, you want to be walking that sort of line. If 
if viruses had intelligence, they would all be operating in that, like, you don't know I'm here, but I'm still coming out in your spit whenever you talk to somebody sort of area. I mean, um, yeah, I would say, like, but, the common cold is an extraordinarily successful virus. Yes, very much so. It's the, um, common, the common cold, cold is a, 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 a collection of viruses. It's not really one virus, but yes, that, that is correct. That, no. Uh, well, eh, yeah, it can be, or it can be lots of different ones. It can be coronavirus. It can be all sorts of things. Oh, okay. No, I thought it was one virus. Okay, that's on me. <laughs> that, no, that's on you. That's um, what I went today. I, I'm, maybe when people say it, sometimes they mean specifically rhinovirus. And you are correct that rhinovirus is an extremely successful virus. Um, but I, I think that a lot of people also say it without realizing that the cold is caused by a bunch of different viruses. Um, all that said, this is the sort of pathogen that, like, it does a pretty good job flying under the radar initially. It's just that it was so desperately hungry to get a hold of other humans. It completely lost its chill. It, <laughs> it, it probably could have done a lot better if it had just kept its chill a little bit, but it didn't. That's fair. Like, if Baltiel had not been allowed to say things like don't come anywhere near me like i could have been contaminated if he had not said that Dizzer wouldn't have known and they would all be they would all be weed now right but there was also a time early on when ronnie first got taken over before he got all murdery when i was like maybe this will be a cool new step in human evolution like this sort of hive access do you know what I mean? Like, right, having that like, connection um, could be the next, you know, could, could be the next step. Right, to those around you and to yourself. I mean, that's complete mastery over your body. Right, but then we lost its chill. <laughs> it started killing. It oh boy, bad. here I go killing again. <laughs> I can't help it, I just love killing. I want to <laughs> go on an adventure. You kill everyone. <laughs> Um, um, but it also yeah. makes sense because it also has the capacity to rebuild anyone. So who cares if they get killed first? Because as far as we is concerned, we're looking at, um, you know, Boltiel and being like, Hey, look, I put you back together. See, now we can be friends. And you're like, Hey, what the hell? Why did you kill me? Yeah. You're a dick. Humans don't get over that super easily. We doesn't understand that or didn't at least in the beginning. Right. Because you know, what the fuck does we know? Yeah, like, exactly. It, it's never d worked with an intelligent organism where each one is its own entity that cannot be remade. Right. And that is just something completely alien to the Wii. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting. It's a very interesting way of envisioning life. I agree. And I think that that is really... It's the only, I think it's like the only type of, of, of cellular light that can be intelligent that makes any sort of sense. Although, you know what I found interesting? Hmm. There was a line in this book where they talk about how the more adventurous these of we did this thing, which does imply that there is variation cell to cell. That is a good point. Yeah. 
That is a good point. Um, so, I don't know if there's There any... implies personality, ego, even. It does, yeah, it, it implies an I, even though they refer to themselves as these of a we. Yeah, but you're right, they differentiate. They're like, hey, we're gonna go on an adventure, because yeah. we are cool. <laughs> we're going on an adventure, you introvert nerds can stay home. Yeah. I'm Now, I have one possible defunker that doesn't just involve Tchaikovsky just wrote it um, to, that can make this make sense and it's that there's no mention that these of we are always identical so perhaps like like physically identical not just not like having an eye perhaps mm. some of the we were created in such a manner that they were more resilient to the exterior and they referred to as the adventurous these of we Interesting. So you mean they're still the same species, it, they're just modified for a specific task? Yeah, perhaps they were spored or something. I mean, if you want to put it in terms of bacteria, A, the most capable bacterial colonies are biofilms. You can do all sorts of stuff, hide from your immune system and the like. And um, they can be made out of different species of bacteria. And one of the interesting things about it is it really challenges your concept of unicellular life because bacteria are supposed to be lone, you know, lone agents, lone actors. But when you see a biofilm, they start to sort of, <laughs> honestly, in a way, form a society. You have like a metaphorical butcher and tanner and blacksmith, like they each sort of specialize to do different things, create different proteins, do different processes. Um, so that the colony as a whole can thrive. And it can be all of the same species, it can be different species, but in a, in a sense, it really is like bacteria taking jobs and settling down and working on those jobs. Um, and then of course, because they're unicellular and they're very good at this, they can adapt themselves physiologically to it. Maybe I'm the one who makes the capsule that protects us from the immune system, so I'm like on the outside and I'm just constantly churning that out, you know what I mean? Right. So they 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 can be specialized physiologically in that way. Um, so we we have sort of a version of that on Earth, if you want to look at it that way. Okay. Interesting. Um, I think that was my whole thought. <laughs> I, I think that yeah, that would make sense to me. So either a they have an ego which. I can't reconcile with the idea of a bacteria. Like I can, I can actually get on board with they form a, a group consciousness, and this is possible. This is basically the result of their ability to store ridiculous amounts of information. Okay. Right. Sure. Fine. But I can't get on board with individual essentially bacterium i mean obviously they are described as having a different cell structure than what we find on earth which makes sense divergent evolution or um separate evolution but they are described basically as bacterium or something along those lines right so it would be very hard for me to reconcile that idea with intelligent life individually <clears throat> yes it's sort of easier to think of Billions of them forming an intelligent network 
than any individuals of them having intelligence. Is that what you're saying? Right. Much like the neurons of the brain, no single neuron is intelligent. While it is specialized yeah. and it has purpose, it, its structure is purpose built for its task, it on its own isn't intelligent, but a lot of them forms an ego. Right. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. Um, and I think you're right. I mean, I think that they say these of we. They don't say we and not them. You know, there's no concept of them, it seems. Right, Everything they say those of we. encompassed in we. It's so always So maybe they're we. saying, like, these, these of we, specifically, these guys, they're the adventurous ones. They're going out there. They're a part of us, but they are not... Um, the same as everything else. Right, like, my, they, I think they literally say, those of we, like, th- those of we who were adventurous went out and found and continued the adventure, or something like that. Some of those lines. Yeah. Um, so there is an idea of those, but they're always we. And I think at first that was really incongruous to me, because I hear those of we, or those we, those implies other, we implies along with us. But I think that's much in the... Th- intentionally yeah I mean and I think that you have the way that the octopi talk about their reach as though it's a separate entity um it's sort of a similar idea right like it's me it's part of this identity but um acts differently and independently to an extent of the rest of the identity. Right. Which is why it's kind of funny that um that we couldn't figure out the octopi. You mean we as in they humans? couldn't put it together. Oh, 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 those of we. We we the we the couldn't we. figure them out. I think that is very interesting and it makes total sense to me. Interesting. I want to hear more about that. The one point I want to make before you dive into it is that they did say that the we figured out humans because they settled down in the corpus callosum, which is where the two hemispheres of the brain talk to each other. So maybe the reason that they were able to get us is because we had the central node, the central hub, where all this communication went across. And there's no, like stuff that happens that our brain doesn't know about. So they they could just settle down in there and like watch and listen and read all they wanted to watch, listen and read until they understood what was going on. They got like limitless data to work on. Um, whereas it seems like it's not that way for the octopi because of the way that their neuro neurological systems work. But go on with what you were going to say about that. Um, I'm trying to think. Because you, you were saying that you found it very interesting that, and, and very sensible that the octopi were impossible to grasp for we. Oh, right. Because they were totally independent. I mean, they, they are very much independent, uh, independent entity, right? Like the... The reach versus the crown? Yes. Like the relationship between those two is more partner than than the same, 
And so it makes sense to me. So you that think that there's greater independence between those two aspects of an of a single octopi than there are between different factions of the way. Yes. Interesting. Because the we with a common set of information acts mostly in the same way. Now that's the key, right? They have to have matching libraries. But Yeah. Tends to be the same. And they they act with one will. Whereas while it doesn't seem to have a separate will, like I don't think the Reach has its own thoughts. I think I don't think the Reach has its own thoughts, it just isn't able to get him out there. It definitely follows the command of the crown. But, like... The, Re- the Reach seems to be an agent of the crown, but not one that the crown can see into. Yeah, it's a very much a black box. Yeah, it's like, I want to go over there. Yeah, think... Com- <laughs> you, then you go over there, but you're not really sure how you got there. Yeah, think, thought, you, you command goes in. articulate it. Right, command comes in, action comes out. And that yes. is a very much different relationship than any other intelligence that we come across in the series. I want to know if that's how, like, if we have advanced our understanding of octopus psychology enough to know that that is accurate. I don't think that we've advanced I would our... guess it's not totally made up. It's probably at least a well-regarded theory. No, there's definitely some ground to that. I, I, I not specifically for this. So I, my my remembering of this is might be slightly off, but I have read articles on the fact that uh, octopi's limbs kind of act independently. Like you'll see an octopus and it's just not paying attention, but like one of its limbs is just doing something. <laughs> it won't do complex engineering, but like, yeah, they do have general. Um, the the nerve centers at the that control each limbs, each of the limbs are very much are very intelligent. You know how we have a nerve cluster at the base of our backs for impulse reaction. Yes, I I think it's the idea is it's much like that, but it's much very ramped up. And it's got um, sort of more computing power. It's less yeah, of like right. a set, reactive program. Yeah, it's it's more intelligence less following a, a, a number of trees like uh what's it called branch commands or something oh uh, oh yeah um command tree command tree thank you yeah um yeah so it's more independent intelligence less command tree as opposed to our instinctive instinctive reactions interesting yeah i think uh, that makes sense but i su- highly suggest you or anyone that's interested looked into that separately it's been a minute since i looked into it I think the last time I looked at it. I'm going to spend more time with Octopi. <laughs> like physically or like intellectually? Intellectually. <laughs> That's what I thought. I don't want to pay for aquarium membership. And I don't want to keep one as a pet. Yeah, you, you so, have to buy a real membership. <laughs> I'm way too bad at keeping things alive to get one as a pet. Oh, I would forget to clean its cage and it would be miserable. And it's too smart to, for me to let it be miserable. <laughs> it would murder me. <laughs> That's fair, actually. Yeah, it's, it's not safe. These are all great <laughs> points. Yes. Um, anyway. So, did you have any other things you want to hit? Let me see. I thought the... <laughs> Tardigrade miners was both unnecessary. It was as unnecessary as it was hilarious. 
Yeah, you're totally right. That was just like a nod to everyone who loves tardigrades. Yeah, was like, like that was. Why? They I thought they were going to be way more important than they were. And then they, they really else. were just like a, hey, this is here. <laughs> like, no, so like. That, that, Especially think... because it's not, li- it's not like the Portians where they only have biotechnology. Like, they well, have now, real hold technology. On. One can make the argument that, like, look, they have dope biotechnology and dope physical technology. Or, like... Yeah, I know. They're killing industrial. it. Um, no, but I think... Apparently, that, they do. I think the only role that plays in the... Like, that actually matters in the grand scheme of things in this book is that it is a... Um, what am I thinking? It's a sign of how much more advanced they are than the human ported technology. The reason that they did the tardigrade? Yeah, like, but here's the thing. They could have done almost anything else to point that out. (laughs) Like, if Tchaikovsky wanted to hammer the point home, yes, the, the octopi are eons ahead of everyone else. Right. There were other ways to do it. Can't you argue, though, that it's a sort of, like, weird sideways logic that an octopi civilization would have? (laughs) Be like, I need a giant cannon. I'm going to make a giant tardigrade and use it as a giant cannon. (laughs) They're good little diggers, and they're good little spitters, and they're going to spit rock at me from the I mean, it wasn't a weapon. Solar system. No, I know. Okay. I know. The way you said that, it sounded (laughs) like it was a weapon. Well, they, I mean, they did cannon them. They they just, like, put them in their little tube mouths and shot them. Uh, I think it was really funny that the, like, the tardigrades are mentioned as, like, part of the terraforming effort, like, as seeding the, the planet with, like, a really ba- basic biosphere. Yeah. And I think that's just great that they're, like, the octopi are, like, we've had these things all along. We've decided to do something useful with them and turn them into mining spinny boys. <laughs> I know. Really, really enjoyed that. Um, delightful, absolutely delightful. Overall, uh, just, here's phenomenal. Go on. That's overall, it. phenomenal. That specific aspect of the book as a whole. I mean, yes. But like, um, I, I thought, thought. That, I thought that was a really funny use of ink. Essentially, it was kind of it was fairly whimsical, honestly, and not a very whimsical <laughs> book. Yeah, which I appreciate it. Yes, definitely. Um, but so, final thought for me. So, there was a couple times mentioned in the book the idea that for the Portiads, because they had such access to understandings, true genius wasn't in understandings, it was in how you, like, applied them for problem solving. And I think, and tell me if you agree with me, that that is going to be the direction that humanity moves. As we become sort of more and more integrated with our technology... And we have more and more access to knowledge and understanding. Not capital U understanding, but just regular human understanding. And I think that to an extent, we are there. Like, no one needs to be a human encyclopedia. It's like how when you're growing up, you had to take math tests without calculators. And you're like, oh my god, why can't I use a calculator? And your teacher's like, you're not going to walk around with calculators in your pockets. And then we, we do. We literally do. <laughs> literally, that's what we do. So, like, I don't... I don't um, endorse this at all because I think that it's important for like learning skills like problem solving skills but there's an argument to be made that we don't really need to teach arithmetic um, 
Well, let's let's compare. It I don't to this, think anyone's right? gonna go there yet, but I think that there's an argument to be made. What'd you say? Let's compare it to this. So I just recently took my fundamentals of engineering exam, right? And yes. to go into that, you have no materials. You're just you go in with a calculator that can't even be too good of a calculator. <laughs> like I had to borrow. Wait, my how good of a calculator, calculator were you allowed to bring in? I had to borrow my girlfriend's calculator. It was like um. It was like a ba- it was basically a casi. Like you could bring a scientific calculator and that's it. Like you had pi and d and that was about as complicated as it got. I had pi, I could store four variables and that was it. <laughs> nice. And theoretically the rules read that you have to uh unplug like remove all the batteries and clear the memory. Okay, and you check so your calculator before you go in. So anyway, so this is all I have access to. Um but for my next exam on my path to becoming a real engineer boy, I have to take the professional engineering exam, which you can bring any number of materials in with you. Really? Like, pile, like my, I was talking to my boss, and he said the, the person he was sitting at a table with had piles of textbooks around her. Really? That is interesting. So this is... I did not know that. This is the exam that separates you from being able to sign papers and have legal... Um, responsibility for the plans that you put out and not and you're allowed to bring as much material as you want which makes sense huh. it's like when you're sitting there trying it to remember it's and then here's a less funny less um real example it's like when you're sitting there and you're trying to remember something and you just go i'll just google it but like how often do you sit there and still try to remember it but we have access to all this technology in our pockets and while right. some people argue and i think successfully in many cases that that's making a lot of people dumber. I think you're right that the correct application of this knowledge and this ability will leap humanity forward. Now, it really depends on your definition of intelligence, though, because by some definitions, it does make you dumber. But you could also counter argue that it frees up space <laughs> to work on different things with your brain. You don't I've have to remember stuff. Always been an advocate that the ability to memorize does not make you intelligent. The ability to problem solve makes you intelligent. I agree. And I think that people that argue to the contrary... And that's not just because f- I have a terrible memory. <laughs> yeah, I think that people argue to the contrary are just bad at the latter and good at the former. Um, I mean, I think that, like, it, it is helpful to be able to hold things in your mind because you don't have to seek them out in order to make connections. Right, you could be much better. But if I could have one, if I could have one or the other, if I had a terrible memory but I was great <laughs> right. at problem solving, I'd prefer that. And I think that that would be the smart choice with where we're going as a human society. Okay. And professionally, what is valued. Right, your ability to solve problems. Yeah. I mean, in 100% of cases, I can't think of a career that, maybe historian, but I can't think of a career that your ability to memorize a list of facts is more valuable than your ability to look at an issue and come up with a good response to it. Yeah, now, it, it doesn't exist. I I also And I like think to with say, the more accessible information becomes, the less necessary it will be to even just be good at holding things in your mind. Do you know what I mean? Right, because eventually we're gonna have thing we're gonna have things like implants or whatever. As uncomfortable as it might make yeah. some of us feel, but these things will happen eventually. Or some equivalent <laughs> of it. Right. Something where the th- the flick of your thought you could search through the entirety of the surface internet and come up with your answer when you're trying to think of something. Okay. Yeah, it'll be something like you see in um, 
in like video games or or in sci-fi books where you are a person and you have sort of like a computer that you interface with like um jane and ender that sort of a thing where like i'm not saying you'll necessarily have like an ai friend who lives in your brain (laughs) but you could have that sort of um ease of access where you're like oh i needed more information about this and you like instantly have more information about that right you don't have to turn to and by my understanding that seems to be kind of how the understandings work in Portiate society. It seems like you kind of have to go somewhere to get them, but, like, realistically, that's exactly. what you're dealing with. Where you're like... I mean, literally, there was the the one part where they were like, yeah, so <laughs> Bianca was done with being an engineer, so she got rid of all that and, like, took back all of her pilot understandings so she could fly stuff, and I was like, that sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> right. I get it, Meshna. I do get it. Yeah, exactly. Um... So anyway, you were trying to make a point. Yes. A different point. Okay, so, well, it's related. So, what I think is another point from this book, for on that note that this is kind of where our society <coughs> is going, our society mm. is also possibly simultaneously, possibly alternatively, going in a different direction. And that is <laughs> that eventually the ability to put something out there as a, a, a goal or as an idea, almost like being a good project manager is going to be more important than being a good problem solver as AI develops. Mm, like, you need the visionary. Right. So, like... And, and you need to I be think, a crown, not a reach. Exactly. I think that eventually... Hmm. And AI is really That's starting to accelerate. That's bad news uh, oh, don't no. worry. I don't think they'll be <laughs> Hopefully letting... not within my career time. I don't think they'll be AI into <laughs> genetic research anytime soon. Oh, thank God. Engineering? Probably more <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> so, but I think that's another possible direction that we might take. And maybe they'll be related, maybe they won't be, maybe both will happen. I don't know, obviously, but, like, that's an entirely another option. The problem solving is done by the AI as opposed to done by the wetware. I think it's, um, it is an interesting problem, like, as AI gets better and better, what are we going to do <laughs> with, with our time? Because <laughs> I think you're right. Like, you, you need to be able to do a good job of telling the AI what to do, if hopefully it's not taking over our planet. <laughs> Ideally. And, and you have to be good at programming AI, probably. But what other jobs will there be? Oh, I don't think you have to be good at programming AI. Huh? I don't think you have to be good at programming AI. The day, the time when AI is Oh, actually, that's true. AI is going to program AI. Yeah, AI is going to program Ooh. their own AI. Um, well, I don't think we'll let AIs govern. You don't think we'll let them what? Govern. I did not hear you again. Govern. Rule. Govern. Like, we oh, won't let the, the AI be in charge. Um, I also think that, you know, at that point, in, let's say everything goes well. So let's say the AI takes over, and let's say we're good, and they're like, <laughs> "Yeah, man, like, listen, we got this for you, and we're not going to kill you. How about that?" Um, <laughs> we're just gonna be benign and uh, take care of everything. We're gonna be the Thunderhead from Scythe. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And. I think that like I like just going somewhere. I love in that book when the one guy's like, he's a the Thunderhead's a better dad to me than my dad ever was. What? Did you read that book? 
I read some of that book. I do not remember a lot of that book. Go back to that book. Anyway, um, my point is that I think ideally at that point, you'll do what you want. I mean, there will always be things that have to get done, but like there won't be an AI cleaning your house, probably. I suppose there might be. I just feel like that way insanity lies. I mean, perhaps. People need to work. People need hobbies. People need something to gather their time and make them feel productive. I would be plenty Mm. productive if you just let me sit in my apartment and work on my projects. Hobbies are good, but I don't know. People need to do something if they don't... Like, if if we... They need to be productive. Right, they need to be And more than just maintenance-level productive. Like, cleaning is important, but it's not going to give you life satisfaction. Probably. Depends on the person, I guess. But yes, for 99% of people. Unless you're very, very anal, <laughs> then maybe it will be your purpose. <laughs> but most people will not have their purpose be keeping their apartment clean. Exactly. So that is something that's going to be... I, th- I think if everything goes okay, and really I think it's unlikely that alien... Or not alien, us. Computer takeovers in our future. We'll do everything. Um... Well, also, like, I don't think they're... I just kind of like, want them to drive. That's, like, the only thing I want them people. to do. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I think that we'll, we'll be okay, but I also think AI is going to play a role much like the Reach does in the future. Yeah. No, that's fair. All right. Anyway, that got really off track, but <laughs> that yeah. was interesting what we're talking about. I mean, that actually is probably closest to the theme of our show than we've ever been. Like What'd discussing philosophy and how it applies to the world. That's the closest we've ever come to our <laughs> That's goal true. Of the show. That's true. I don't think too much of the comedy this episode, but at least we had a thoughtful discussion. I think that that was always how this was going to go. Adrian Tchaikovsky, like, the book is funny, and I really enjoy it. Like, I found it highly entertaining, both from a humor and from an intellectual standpoint. But the discussion, the problems he tackles, they're not funny. No, that's very true. The things that you talk about after you read it are not very funny. Sankathy was a delight. Pure joy. Loved him. I I wasn't sad that Boltiel and Ronnie and Lante and all them had died. I was sad that we weren't going to see Sankathy anymore. <laughs> I was sad that And that we weren't going to see him interact with people anymore. Yes. I loved his internal dialogue. His internal dialogue is great. His trying to explain himself to Boltiel is great. Like, <laughs> that's true. His his oddness, um, just like the whole, just how he handled the whole octopus computer crisis thing was amazing. Yeah, that was funny. I think I think the whole that whole situation was funny. Yeah, he was great. He was a great character. Yes. All but right. yeah, so let's wrap up. Um, we want to talk about our next book. Yes, it's my turn to pick. It is your turn. Trying to keep it semi-seasonal, um, but not like specific to the say? Christmas season because it's going to be rather after Christmas <laughs> next episode. So I was thinking we should do uh, "The Left Hand of Darkness" by Ursula K. Le Guin, partially because it takes place on a planet called Winter, which is very cold. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was appropriate. <laughs> okay. Because frankly, I'm very cold right now. And it's a huge classic, very, very well-regarded sci-fi novel. I have never read Ursula K. Le Guin, and I consider that a huge personal oversight. 
So we will reconcile that. Yeah, I'm with you. I've never even heard of her. You never heard of her? Oh, she's yeah. she's very big. She's very important. Okay, well, good. I'm glad I'm finally going to make it around. You've never heard of the the Earthsea series, Earthsea trilogy, I think. The, no. A Wizard of Earthsea. Huh. Blind no, spot. Uh, no, she's a big deal. So, okay. anyway, we're gonna we are going to read her, and we're going to read the Left Hand of Darkness, and that episode will be released on January sixth. Okay. Cause that's right, folks. Twenty twenty is coming. It's another year. And mm, on another that decade. Note, uh, so this is we are coming up on our second anniversary, right? Two. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's ridiculous. Uh, where has the time gone? And frankly, we're as flabbergasted <laughs> as you are. Probably more so. Almost definitely more so, yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we think that we want to revisit the world of fantasy and magic uh, like we did last year. Not necessarily that world, just a world of fantasy and magic. Mm-hmm. Um, Cece, what did we want to do? Are you asking because you don't remember if we agreed or not? Well, we didn't agree. <laughs> I, I think what we're gonna do is the emperor's blades by brian staveley which is the first book in the un- chronicle of the unhewn throne it is not a very well-known book <laughs> contrary to the left hand of darkness um at least so says the number of goodreads reviews however it knocked <laughs> both of our socks off uh yeah it remains it's, one of my favorite pieces of fantasy. It's extremely good. I possibly <laughs> it's my extremely favorite. original. Possibly your favorite fantasy book? Yeah, it's just so excellent. It's it's a very rich world with a lot of depth and a lot of history and a lot of presence and it's just and very compelling characters. You know, I love that. It's very, very good. I mean, yeah, it, it um, has the world building that we both love. It has the compelling and memorable characters that you and I both like. It's it checks every single. It's got box. it all, kids. It's got it all. It's got really cool magic. It's got really, <laughs> really cool magic. Really it's cool got really cool history. Culture. Fuck, it's such a good book. It's very good. I'm very excited to read it again. I've been sort of. I haven't. I think I've only read it once. I got, um, I got, I and I guess I've been my, waiting for the right time this will be my to third reread time. it. Um, I'm ready. I'm ready to go back into that world. I'm very yes. excited. I really hope you guys aren't disappointed by how excited. Like, we are so excited to go back to this book. <laughs> it's very good. When is that going to come out, though? We did not discuss this off the air, so bear with us. Um, I I mean, honestly, it's, you know, a surprise. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I think the 20th is realistic. That is the second week, or the third week, rather. So that gives what, us the twentieth? Yeah, that gives us two twentieth of January. So that okay, gives us yeah, two that weeks good. In halfway between. between the two episodes. Yes, because um, honestly, with the Christmas season I think coming that's up, fine. I would like to do a dual release, but that's unrealistic. So now you just get a bonus app in between. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Twentieth of January, twenty twenty. Holy shit! Oh, one twenty twenty twenty. It's happening, kids. One twenty twenty. Okay. All right. Cool. Let's wrap up. It's a long app. <laughs> it's a big one. That's not our worst though. Um, if you guys want to find us for any announcements, uh, or you know, episode releases, anything like that, or if you just want to 
say hi. Um, we are on facebook.com slash sci-fi sidebar, or you can find the network at facebook.com slash signifying nothing network. Peter, uh, uh, email? Find, what, our email? Uh, um, <laughs> Pay attention. <laughs> signifying nothing network at gmail.com, right? Uh, I think so. And we're on Twitter at signnothingnet. That's the one I was preparing to say. Because we just did Facebook. And I was like, alright, cool. Twitter's up next. <laughs> you were all primed. <laughs> I was ready and you ruined me. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, but no, we love hearing from listeners. We're very eager to get any um, episode suggestions, book suggestions. I mean, Peter's never heard of Ursula K. Le Guin. So clearly, we do not know that much. <laughs> we're not the ones to be picking this shit. Yeah, yeah. You guys, you guys, uh, if you're nerdy enough and into sci-fi enough to be listening to this podcast, you probably know a lot of cool books that we've never heard of. So uh, hit us up. Let us yeah, know what you want to hear and any what? other feedback you've got. Okay, not only do you listen to podcasts and, sci- and read sci-fi, but you went and found this obscure podcast about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you probably have the sci-fi version of The Emperor's Blades. Oh my god! Somewhere in there, which is just so good. (laughs) And we have confirmed that our email works this week. So, yes, we have. So, uh, please give us give us a ring. You know, a metaphorical ring. Don't don't find our phone numbers. I'd be so terrified. (laughs) Like I'd be overjoyed to hear from someone, but holy shit, I'd be terrified. (laughs) I have to immediately change my identity, and ain't nobody got time for that. (laughs) I'm too busy right now. Yeah, I got shit going on. Then we're going to buy monthly if you guys do that to me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Sci-Fi Sidebar from the Signifying Nothing Network. A tale told by idiots. See you next decade. What the fuck, CC? See you in the 20s. (laughs) 